when we sing songs that may be a little bit familiar, unfamiliar to us, there's always that temptation uh, to kind of just ignore some of the stuff that's in there. But, you know, part of worship, uh, I, I really encourage you this month to read what Laura wrote about worship uh, because our, our young people uh, for the last four or five weeks have been talking about what it means to worship. And there's a big difference between going to church and worshiping. Some of you heard me talk about that before. You know, when you've been to church, you complain about the hymns. When you've been to church, you complain about how long the sermon is. Uh, when you've been to church, you complain about the air conditioning isn't set at here. But when you go to worship, you, you don't think about any of that. Why? Because you understand that worship is not about you. I mean, worship is really all about God. I want to start this morning by sharing with you a story. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you are being chased by a ferocious man-eating tiger. And you are running as fast as you can, and you are just barely staying ahead of this man-eater when you come to the edge of a cliff. But right before the tiger pounces, you notice that there's a rope going over the cliff, and so you immediately grab that rope and you jump over the edge of the cliff, and there you are dangling about 20 feet down, looking up and seeing those big jaws of that tiger waiting for you to come back. But you suddenly look down and realize that you're at the end of your rope, and below you, about 500 feet, you see nothing but jagged rocks. So there you got the tiger up there, you got the rocks below, and you suddenly look up again and you notice that there are two very hungry mice gnawing on that rope. Now, what in the world can you do in that situation? That you would call a no-win situation. But I want you to imagine right there, on the face of the cliff, right in front of you, you notice a strawberry. Carefully, holding on the rope, you reach out and you pluck that strawberry and you eat the whole thing and you go, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. That's the most delicious strawberry I have ever eaten in my whole life. Now, I seriously doubt that you would ever think of doing that. In fact, when I first heard uh, somebody tell that story a number of years ago, I think his name is actually Brendan Manning, who wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel, I thought, you know, that's impossible. There's no way I would be able to do that. You know, a tiger up there, rocks below, going to, and I would actually stop and take the time to eat a strawberry and comment about how good it tasted. It seemed irresponsible. In fact, it seemed just a little bit crazy to me. Now, like most of you that are gathered here this morning, uh, I deal with more than my share of growling tigers over the years. Uh, I have had gnawing mice from time to time, and I have spent a little bit of time dangling over a whole bunch of uh, jagged rocks. Now, when I'm in that situation, my focus is generally on solving that problem. It's not on strawberries. And I think most of you would probably agree, especially when we're faced with situations like that that seem to be no win. Now, let me tell you another story. 
after leading the Israelites out of Egypt, they'd been there in slavery for 450 years, Moses is leading this group of several million people out into the Sinai wilderness, and he suddenly finds himself on the banks of the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army charging down the road, advancing, intent on dragging them all the way back into Egypt. I'm sure, too, if you were Moses standing there with the Red Sea in front of you, the Egyptian army behind you, you would think, wow, this is a no-win situation. I mean, he was stuck not between a rock and a hard place, but between the water and the soldiers. Soldiers he could not defeat, a sea that he could not swim across. Now, as Moses stood there surveying that situation, I seriously doubt that he said, Man, I just love the beach. Isn't this a wonderful sunset out here tonight? But then maybe again, that's what he was thinking. Now, that story I shared at the beginning about the tiger and the rats and the, or the mice and the, the rocks may seem impossible, but I think it teaches us an essential truth that all Christ followers need to learn. And the lesson is this, even, you know, even with tigers and rocks and all of that kind of stuff, we need to kind of learn to pick the strawberries of life for each special moment and enjoy them. Now here's what I want you to really realize today. Learning to enjoy the moment in the midst of a problem or in the midst of a crisis or even in the midst of what you would consider to be a no-win situation is the only way to change your circumstances. See, when you learn to live in the moment, problems begin to lose their power over you. When you learn to live in that godly moment, you find that you become more clear-headed in your decision-making and less emotional and more rock-solid. And when you learn to live in the moment, you, you find that this no-win, no-way-out situation isn't what it really appears to be, at least on the surface. And you also learn the most important lesson a Christian can learn is this, this is not your fight. I love it when the Bible, when, when God comes along to people and he says, I know you people are all upset about this, but would you just back up, get out of the way, and let me take care of it? How many times do you ever get in the way of God? Uh, don't worry, God, I got this one. I got this one. I can handle this one. It's no big deal. Uh, uh, I'll pray next time when it's a little bit harder. Uh, I'll pray the next time I get a little bit sicker. But for right now, you know, me and the doc, we can handle this. And God is just saying, friend, get out of the way. I mean, the Bible says the battle belongs to the Lord. See, what you, learn, you need to learn that important lesson. God is in control. God is ready to take care of you. Now, some of you actually might think you're in that kind of situation today, you know, dangling from a rope over the jagged rocks, tigers ahead of you, mice gnawing off your rope or whatever. You're facing a problem today that seems way too big to solve. In fact, I've had people tell me in my years as a pastor, uh, you know, pastor, I hear you talking about how God is in control and God can take care of it, but, you know, quite honestly, you don't live in a real world. I go, oh, really? They said, yeah, because if you lived out in the real world and you, you knew the problems I was facing, you'd know how stupid it is to say something like that. You're just kind of sugarcoating it. 
I got news for those people. They're the ones not living in the real world. And where are you going to go when you're at the end of your rope? I mean, a lot of people say when you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot in it and hang on. Why not when you get to the end of your rope, just let go and fall into the hands of God? Fall into the hands of Jesus. Let him take care of you. Now, I want you to realize, friends, that there really is no such thing as a no-win, no-way-out situation. In fact, you can go from no-win to can't-lose if you would just kind of have a little spiritual attitude adjustment, have some of this God-given toughness, God-given spiritual discipline. You need to learn to live in the, in the moment, not in the past and not in the future. Now, what I want to do in our time together this morning, just to talk about three biblical attitudes that kind of come from our little reading in Hebrews today about how to get your mind off what might happen and help you instead focus on what is happening right now. Here's the very first thing you need to do, and that is just to simply see life as a challenge. You know, when you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, and if you haven't read them, start with the book of Acts and go through, start with Romans and read, you know, all the way, almost to the end before Revelation. If you read a lot of Paul, it's clear that he never expected life to be easy. He understood that from the very beginning, the day you start following Jesus, there would be times that would be tumultuous. And yet I know there are people who are surprised when that happens. I, I shared part of an email with my wife the other day that I had from a friend who has had kind of a conversion experience, has come to know Jesus really for one of the first times in his life and is very much surprised that things aren't working out perfectly. You know, what happened? You know, I, I turned my back on this life I was leading and now I'm, I, I'm following Jesus, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm going to church and... And man, I'm taking it in the shorts all the time. What gives here? I mean, our sense of entitlement kind of tells us that we should not be inconvenienced. After all, we are Christians. Or if we want to take it a step further, we should not be inconvenienced. We're Lutherans, for heaven's sake. And God says, yeah, so what? Uh, your life, you know, we think our life should be easy, but that's not part of the deal. Most of you know that in the Bible there are well over 3,000 promises. Over 3,000 promises. 3,000 blank checks, if you will. None of them, and, I, and I've gone through, I, believe me, I've read from front to back. I've looked at those 3,000 promises. I cannot find a single one of them that promises that I will make your life easy if you become a believer. In fact, I can find a whole bunch of Bible passages that say just about the exact opposite. Let me give you an example. 2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Wow. You ever think about that one? Or how about this one? Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you as though some strange thing were happening to you. Now, the fact is, Blessing upon blessing is going to be poured out upon you as a believer. I mean, let me give you three big categories. What happens? You get forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Those are three pretty big blessings that God just pours out just for being a part of his family. He gives us so much more than any of us will ever, ever deserve. 
But we also need to remember that problems and persecutions are also part of that little package. Now, if you ever came to Jesus thinking, maybe this will make my life smoother, maybe this will make my problems go away, uh, you're barking up the wrong spiritual tree. There will always be problems. I mean, I think about these, these little ones we baptize. You know, they, they're so cute. They're so innocent. People are making over them all the time, uh, talking nonsense, oogu, oogie, oogie, you know, stuff like that. And you know, we take care of them every time they whine or complain or do all their other stuff. We take care of them. They got, we say they got a great life. Well, it, right now it seems that way, doesn't it? But what have they got ahead of them? The same thing that every sinful person in this world in life has, problems. Problems are always going to be there. It's like a, a farmer at my former church one time told me, he said, the problem with milking cows is that they don't stay milked. You know, same can be said of our problems. They just don't say, stay solved. So many times we find ourselves saying, how can I enjoy this strawberry when I've got so many tigers and so many sharp rocks and, and so many gnawing mice? I mean, the future's uncertain. My tests haven't come back yet from the doctor. My loan has not been approved. My job offer hasn't come through. How can I enjoy this moment when I have so much to worry about? And then sometimes we even kind of catch ourselves saying, you know, someday, someday when this problem goes away, Someday then, when it all clears up, then I'm going to take time to play catch with my kids in the lot. I'm going to take my wife out to, on a date. I'm going to go on a picnic with my family. But I can't really do it right now because I am just so stressed. Well, let me tell you something, friends. Someday never comes. Someday never comes. Life is a series of challenges. One after the other, it will never, ever be smooth sailing for long. We just simply need to accept the fact that there will always be troubles, always be trials, always be tribulations to deal with. Once you accept that, you, you've taken the very first step towards what God wants you to do, and that's to learn to live in the moment. Kind of see life as a challenge. Here's the second thing you need to learn to do, and that is to see life as an adventure. Uh, many of you know that before I became a pastor, I, I was a basketball coach. I spent a lot of time coaching high school uh, varsity boys basketball. I was thinking as I wrote this sermon, I was remembering a game that we were playing. It was one of these that went back and forth, back and forth continually during the game. And, and it was a, a tie score with a few seconds left to go in the game. And we called our last timeout. Now, everybody in the crowd is all yelling and cheering and doing all this kind of stuff. And I'm standing there, and I notice as the players are walking off the floor, one of my players has a big smile on his face. And I'm wondering what gives. And he gets into the huddle, and he says, Coach, you know, it's times like this that make you love the game of basketball. You know, I had to agree. I mean, Paul experienced so much hardship in his life. I mean, I've often thought, you've heard me say this too, you come to me, Jason, you say, Pastor, I got a problem, I might say, good. Because now you and God get a chance to work together. Now, Paul had all these problems, guess what? Continual chance to work together with God. 
And think about this. Paul was beaten any number of times. Paul was robbed. Paul was stoned. Paul was shipwrecked. He was alone in the wilderness. He was alone in the desert. He was often hungry with no food. He had no place to sleep. He didn't have enough clothes to keep him warm. And yet, what was his outlook on life? Here, I'm going to read it to you, 2 Corinthians 4. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up and keep going. Now, Paul's life was not a life where he was trying to avoid the problems in life. His ambition was not to create some sort of cushy, comfy Christian lifestyle. He was not afraid of adversity. All Paul wanted to do was to take one step forward in accomplishing God's mission for him in his life. One of the stories that you may recall in the Bible about Paul, one time Paul and Barnabas uh, were preaching in this city called Lystra, and some enemies came into that city, and they got the crowd all worked up, and, and eventually the crowd stoned Paul. And then they threw him outside the city gates because they were sure he was dead. Now, other Christians all gathered around old Paul, laying there all beat up and stoned, probably waiting for him to die or whatever so they could give him a Christian burial. But guess what? Paul wasn't dead yet. He wasn't ready to give up yet. The Bible says he got up, <laughs> dusted himself off, and what? Hightailed it for another town. No. Got up, dusted himself off, and walked right back into the city of Lystra and preached the gospel. Now, how many of you want that kind of adventure? Most of us wouldn't want that. The truth is, most of us are not going to experience that kind of adventure. But I hope you experience enough to understand that life is meant to be experienced and not just endured. It's a, it's a grand adventure. It's a roller coaster ride. It's not a, a merry-go-round. And when you accept that, it's easier to live in the moment. And when he wrote that, he didn't know whether he was ever going to get out of prison or maybe he was going to be executed. Now, how would you feel about that? You know, knowing that you're in jail, you don't know whether you're ever going to get out or whether you're going to die there. Here's what Paul writes in Philippians. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. You see, friends, what Paul was saying here was, either way I win. If I die, I go to heaven. If I live, I get to stay here and do what God created me to do. Either way, it's good for me. Now, how can a guy learn to live with that kind of an attitude? Well, by simply knowing that God cares for you. God watches over you. God has the best things in mind 
for you. So we can put our trust in his sovereign power to direct the events of our life. We have his word on it. Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. You know what that verse really says? It says, either way, you win. Now you could memorize that verse. I just made that verse up. That's in the KGV, Kolb's general version of the Bible. Either way, you win. Could you say that? Either way, you win. I mean, if I die, I go to heaven. If I stay here, I get to do what God has called me to do. Now, sometimes, and I know this to be true, sometimes the results of your prayers, sometimes the results of your efforts are far greater than anything you ever expected, and you just sit there and you just thank God for what he's done. But I know that there are some times that it seems like your prayers and your efforts aren't what you hoped they would be. And yet the Bible still says that God will make it work out for good anyway. See, that's why I think it's possible for you to sit there and enjoy that strawberry, even in the midst of threatening times. It's possible because you know that God is at work in your life to do what? To cause everything to somehow come together for the benefit of God's kingdom. So you can look up at that growling tiger and that gnawing set of mice or the jagged rocks and you can say, hey, either God is about to perform a gigantic miracle or I'm heading to go to glory with him. Either way, I win. I mean, you can look at an impending financial disaster and you can say, either God is about ready to show me a way out of this mess or he's going to give me a chance to start all over again and experience his blessings in a whole new way. Either way, I win. You can look at your health problem and say, either God is about to heal me or he'll give me the grace to endure this challenge or he'll just take me home. Either way, I win. See, friends, when you understand that no matter what happens, you're going to win, God is going to take care of you. It's then that you begin to enjoy each moment. You begin to see everything not as a lose-lose, but everything now becomes kind of a win-win. See, it's hard to live in this moment when you are dealing with problems. It's hard to live in the moment when you're afraid of what's going to come tomorrow. But the good news is you don't need to be fearful of what's to come because guess what? God's already been where you're going. God has promised to take you. You know, even in, in Psalm 23, I know it just comes to mind where it says, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Well, what is the shadow of death? It's life. So even though, even though I walk through life, I don't worry about anything. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the shepherd generally walks ahead. Means that Jesus has been everywhere that you're going. He knows everything you will need when you get to that situation. Like if you caught it today, as Courtney read our scripture from Hebrews, there's a little line in there. It says, I will never desert you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise in Hebrews 13, 6. But the very next verse adds something to it. That's why you always got to read a little bit further. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. But the next verse says, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. 
I will not be afraid. Maybe that's part of the message today, friends. The Lord is your helper. You can trust him in every situation. In fact, I would challenge you to come up with a situation that God could not handle. And when you figure that out, you come and talk to me. I'd like to hear it. And then I may explain to you why even that is not impossible for God to take care of. See, when you understand that God can do anything and everything, life does not seem quite so insurmountable. I mean, life may be one challenge after another, that's for sure, but since the Lord is your helper, you can relax a little and enjoy the process. You know, someone said not long ago, I read this, and said, if God is your co-pilot, maybe you should switch seats. You know, many of us are careening down the mountainside of life, white-knuckling it, and we got God sitting in the back seat, yelling at him like we yell with our kids, keep quiet back there! Don't make me come back there! If I have to stop this car! When instead, you know, wouldn't it be a whole lot more fun just to let God do the driving? And you enjoy the view as you go through life? See, when God is your helper, you live a little bit. You take bigger chances. You can sacrifice a little more. Even find the strength to endure all of the rough spots of life because you know God is in control of this adventure. And since he's in control of this adventure, you can be sure that every situation that is going to work out for your good, for his glory, that's because that's his promise, that's his plan. And with God in control, you can live in the moment. That means that no situation, no trial, no problem, no crisis can control one of God's children. It can't keep you from enjoying this moment. See, even a no-win, no-way-out situation can't take that away from you. Why is that? It's because God is in control of this moment of your life, and he is in control of every moment that is to follow. See, when you understand and you believe that, then every no-win situation really is a can't-lose situation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessings you give us in life. We thank you for turning what seems to be no wins into can't loses. Lord, what a precious gift that is. To know that in every crisis of life, you are there with us. Lord, we also pray for other people this morning. We lift before you Sherry Curtis as she... Uh, prepares to have uh, some knee replacement surgery this coming week. We pray that you guide the doctors and the nurses during that time and be with her family as well as they support her. We also give you thanks again for Andrew Ayers on the day of his baptism and for all of us as we celebrate our baptisms each and every day. Lord, for other people that are sick and hungry and lonely, for people who need that, that touch in your hand, we pray that you would be with them. We pray also that you would be uh, with all of our men and women of the armed forces scattered around this world, that you would return them safely home, and that you would bring world peace as well. Lord, for all things we bring before you this morning, trusting in your grace, trusting in your mercy, 
and praying the prayer which your Son has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever.